0: Father God, I thank you for adoption. That is it is an act of your free grace. And that by it, enemies have been made sons and daughters. You no longer see us as enemies. We're no longer hostile. There's no longer a gap between you and I. But Christ has bridged that gap with his own life. With his own life upon the cross. And so all of us who stand here this morning in saving faith are now child, children of God because of that. It's a great honor to be a child of the king. And Lord, as we come to the preaching of your word, yes, your word, we pray that your spirit will prepare us for that. This is not Alice's word. This is not my authority. It's your authority. It's your truth for your people, for your bride, for your sons and daughters. And I'm one of them, for I need your truth as well. So spirit, speak through me and bring glory to Christ. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 5. You're going to be looking at verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Many people have what I call I am statements about themselves that they use to give themselves some sense of identity or importance or identification. We all have them. Either I am a teacher or I'm a pastor, I'm an employee or whatever company, I'm a parent, I'm a student, I'm a fan of Alabama football, Auburn football, which you're probably excited to say that today, or I'm a Georgia fan. So we have these statements, I am statements about who we are. I'm this, I'm that. What are your top five I am statements that you use about yourself that give yourself some type of importance or identity? When you talk to other people, how do you introduce yourself? I am what? What are you? And as you mentally rank these I am statements about yourself, let me ask you this question. Where does the I am statement that says, I am a child of God, rank in your top five? Is it even in your top five? I am a child of God. Where does that rank in your I am statements about yourself? Is it even in your top ten, top twenty? How far down the list is it? Of all the I am statements you have about yourself that you tell other people, I am a child of God is by far the most important, the most significant. And this is just not my idea. This is what Jesus believed also. That is why he concluded the Beatitudes with the blessing of being called children of God. Matthew 5.9 said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. What does being called children of God mean? What is it referring to? Uh, I believe it's referring to our sonship, our daughtership in Christ. Now, if you notice, these the other blessings of the kingdom, they worked their way down to this one blessing. Well, we started with the book in blessings of, for theirs is the kingdom, right? Remember, theirs is the kingdom. We started there. Then we went to the blessing of comfort, the blessing of provision, the blessing of satisfaction, the blessing of mercy, The blessing of relationship and finally the blessing of sonship. Do you see what Jesus is doing here by mentioning our sonship last? One believer says it is a wonderful climax for there is no higher privilege we could ever experience than this to see God as father. This blessing implies that in the kingdom of God, we are restored to what we were meant to be this blessing implies that in the kingdom of God we are restored to what we were meant to be children of God. this is what our sonship is all about us being restored to what we were meant to be. when God created the world we were, he was created to have sonship relationship with him. what happened? The fall happened. That's what happened. We all know the Genesis 3 story. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell from grace because of sin. And as a result, all the descendants, all of us are descendants of Adam and Eve. And as a result, we're all born into this world, separated from God the Father because of sin. We are born into this world as orphans. We are. Living rebellious lives, independent lives from God the Father. Either by being unrighteous or immoral, or being self righteous and moral. It doesn't matter your sin bent here. Both separate you from God. Both are orphan lifestyles. Doesn't matter if you're unrighteous or immoral, or if you're self righteous and you keep all the rules and you got good morality. Morality will send you to hell. It's just as sinful to the eyes of God. Smells just as nasty to Him. Both separates you from Him. Both seek to find life apart from Him. We were orphans, God-haters, enemies, slaves to sin. But thanks be to God for Christ. For through Him, there's freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from our sin bent. Because why? Reconciliation to God comes through Christ. Christ has made us at peace with God. There's now peace with the Holy God. Between holy God and sinful man through the death and resurrection of Christ. Like Richard just read, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And not only that, not only that, but the blessing says you shall be called sons, sons of God. Children of God. Which means your name has changed. Your identity has changed. God possesses you as His own. You're no longer orphan in Christ. No longer orphan. This blessing of being called children of God it has a present and future reality to it, and that's something that we've been talking about all through these beatitudes. There's a present reality and a future reality, already and not yet, of the kingdom that we live in here. John 1.12 says, "But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name." He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of the will of God. Believers are God's children through adoption. And we just read what that meant. The act of God's free grace. We receive it in the number and we have a right to all the privileges of God. All the privileges of the sons of God. And when you receive the spirit of adoption, you are heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Which means you are heirs to the promises of God in Christ, which means He's going to bless you. And so let me ask you again what I am statements do you use to describe yourself as a believer? Is it, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a worshiper of Christ, I'm a servant of Christ, I'm a disciple of Christ? Are all those things true? And for believers, yes, they're all true. But there's one more that's more relational and a lot more intimate. And that is, I'm a son and I'm a daughter. You see the difference? Those things are true, but they're not as intimate and relational as I'm a son and I'm a daughter. You are more than just a servant in God's kingdom, more than just a disciple, more than just a worshiper, more than just a follower. You are family family. You are God's child before you're anything else. Anything else. When you see yourself as a child of God, you will approach God as father. More. If you're only a follower of Christ, if you only see yourself as a worshiper of Christ, do you approach God as father oftentimes that way? No. It's Well, he's my God, so this is what I do. He's your Father. You're his son, you're his daughter. And we approach him that way. That's the present reality of the blessing. That we are already God's children. Already a son. Already have been adopted. And then there's a future reality that is still to come. Romans eight twenty three says, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. To wait eagerly for our adoption. Now what is Paul talking about there? I thought we were already adopted. Now he says we wait for our adoption. He is speaking of a greater privilege. Of our adoption. You know what that greater privilege is? That in the last day our, our physical bodies will be resurrected. That's what he says here in Romans 8.23. The redemption of our bodies. That's the future blessing of our adoption that comes in the last day. And until then, until then, we live in this world, legally adopted by God, but with this inward groaning inside of us. You know what that's like. The constant tension that you feel as a believer, a living life in a fallen world. Am I the only one who feels that tension? Am I the only one who gets frustrated that I, my life can't always be the way I want it to be? I can't always, I don't always do the things I know I need to do. I don't love my family like I need to love my family. I fall short. Is it just me? Okay. That's the tension. That's the inner groaning that you feel. That's the already and not yet. That's the reality. And it's going to be that way until you die. You got to own that. You're going to always have that tension. It's not going to go away. I'm sorry. It's going to be there. And what does this tension mean? What does this inward groaning mean? It means you will struggle to live as sons and daughters. Why? Because sometimes you're going to live like orphans. That's the reality. Sometimes you're going to want to go back to Egypt. Or is that just me too? Sometimes you're going to want to go back to your vomit. That's the tension. Because things are not going to always go your way. And you know what the good news is? You know what the best news of it all? That the Father will never disinherit you when you want to go back. You know that, right? He will not disinherit you when you return to your vomit. Because we all do. I did this week and so will you. He knows his kingdom is filled with sons and daughters who still live like orphans sometimes. He knows that. He's mindful of that. And that's why he sent Christ to do what we could not do, to reconcile us to himself. Because Christ's blood is for orphans, not for those who have it all together. It's for those who know their sin. My um, favorite quote from the book Animal Farm, I don't know if you have read that book, but it's a good book. It came from the pigs who are in authority. It says, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. (laughs) And when you look at the world we live in, that quote is true of humans as well, of people as well. Humans may be equal in this world, but some are more equal than others. Do you believe that? There are haves and have-nots in the world we live in. They are the resourceful and the unresourceful. They are the privileged and non Do you agree with that? I can't hear you. Okay. For example, this week I read an article um that says the the National Institute of Literacy has found that seventy percent of prisoners fall into the lowest levels of reading proficiency. And listen to this. And when states project how many present beds they would need, they factor into the number of children who read poorly in the fourth grade. When many states project how many present beds they would need, they factor into the number of children who read poorly in the fourth grade. So if your child is poorly now, your states think they're going to end up in jail. All people are equal. Some are more equal than others in the world we live in. But in God's kingdom, is it that way? Every child in God's kingdom is a have. Every child is fully resourced. Every child has privilege. Every child. In his kingdom, all his kids has issues. All of them. Every child is poor, every child is needy, every child is sinful, every child is broken. And yet each of them are equally loved, equally cherished, equally cared for, equally sons and daughters. Never does he say, because you're like this, I'm going to withhold blessings from you. He doesn't give up. He doesn't show favoritism to his own. I mean, he doesn't show favoritism to one child over the other. But he treats us the same. God does not love or care for Billy Graham more than he loves and cares for you. Think about that. Because Billy Graham has done a lot more than any of us have done for the kingdom. But God doesn't love him more because of that. He doesn't. He loves you both the same. See what kind of love the Father has given us. That we shall be called children of God. And that is what we are in this place. Where's what we are? The unbeliever cannot say that. God's creation but not a son. Not a daughter like believers are. Special relationship. We approach him as father. As father. Children of God are at peace with him. And because they are at peace with him they are also to be peacemakers in the world that we live in. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. We've seen here, through our, working our way through these Beatitudes, you have the blessings of the kingdom over here. And you also have these character marks that are produced in all believers. And as I've been saying throughout this series so far, you don't pick and choose which mark you want. Every believer... Will have these marks in their life. And it's produced in us by grace. Through the spirit. You don't produce them in yourself. Can't go out and make a checklist. And say I'm going to produce this in myself today. No. You pray that the spirit would do it. And so here we see. A lifestyle of a peacemaker. Believers have peace with God. Because they have been made right with God. And reconciled to God through Christ. And that's reconciliation. It means peace. Has become Between two parties that were at once hostile toward one another. Peace between a holy God and sinful man through Christ. And you as a believer have been made right with God. There is no more hostility. You're no longer an enemy as we read. One Christian said making peace is part of God's gracious character. And to those who have become a member of his family, they will share in his family likeness. His children will be peacemakers. In other words, because you are at peace with the Father, you would be a peacemaker and want to see other people become at peace with them as well. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? It means you will be an agent of reconciliation in this world. Second Corinthians 5 says, Through Christ God reconciled the world to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All believers are to be peacemakers who have been given this ministry of reconciliation and entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And the message of reconciliation that has been entrusted to us is the gospel. Are you ashamed? Of the gospel? Are you ashamed of it? We're not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And as God's peacemakers, we have been entrusted with this message for the purpose of sharing it. Peacemakers are active in evangelism. You will share your faith. You would share the gospel. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? And hey, I'm, I asked myself this question. Because I was convicted as I was preparing this sermon because I don't share the gospel enough either. And we all have reasons why we don't share it. Fear, rejection, lack of passion, no relationships with nonbelievers, no intent to do so. It's uncomfortable. I don't have the time or energy. It's the pastor's responsibility. What's your reason? What's my reason? Fear or lack of intent on my part. Those are my issues when it comes to sharing the gospel. Fear or lack of intent. I know evangelism is not a strength for every believer, but every believer is still called to participate in it. None of us are excused. From sharing the gospel. And one of the things I think that gets us into trouble is that we approach evangelism as if it's a church program that's optional. Well, that's just a church program, which means, oh, that's just optional. I don't, I can choose not to participate. It's not a church program. It's not optional. Evangelism is part of our kingdom lifestyle in this world. Because we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ here. We are the Jesus that non-believers are ever going to see on this side of heaven. Is you. The non-believers you work with, the non-believers you live around in your neighborhood, the non-believers that's on your, your child's soccer team. You're the Jesus they all the Jesus in you is all they're going to see on this side of glory. And if you're not sharing it, who will? As Christ's ambassadors, we implore others to be reconciled to God. And the content of evangelism evangelism is never us. It's always the gospel all day long. Because the purpose is not to try to get people saved. Because we don't save anybody. We're just God's mouthpiece in evangelism. That's all you are. A mouthpiece. And evangelism is you planting gospel seeds into a person's life. Every time you share it, a seed is planted. I see this planet every time. And God causes the growth every time. So do you have a desire? Do I have a desire to see lost friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors come to saving faith in Jesus? Does your heart break for them? Does mine? Does it? It should. Because we know what awaits them in the end. For those who don't know Jesus, I challenge you and, and even myself that to start praying for those that we know that don't have a relationship with Christ. That we'll pray for them, ask the Spirit to give us opportunities to share the gospel with them. I like I like I like relational evangelism, relationships, which requires you to be personally involved in a persons' life. and, and look for, earn an opportunity to speak truth into their life. Are you friends? With non-believers, do you have relationships with non-believers? And if you do, who's impacting who?
1: Who influ- who is
0: influencing who? If you are a believer, you're supposed to be influencing them with the gospel, not not the other way around. They're not should be making you more worldly. You should be looking for opportunities for the gospel to go forth in their life as a peacemaker. You should want to see them. Have that same peace with the Father that you have. You should want that and pray for that. A retired pastor I know um, from Birmingham told me, told me a story about the power of prayer uh, for evangelism that he saw in his church. And at one of the church meetings, he, he told his congregation to take out a piece of paper. And I think I shared this with a group of folks in our prayer service. He told them, I want you to draw three circles. One, two, three. And in any of those circles, I want you to write family, friends, coworkers, or, uh, or just or people you just regularly meet on a daily basis that you really don't have a relationship with. Because I want you to write people's the names in those circles, and I want you to begin praying for each of these individuals every day, praying that God give you opportunity to, to be able to share the gospel with, with, with a family member who the, who isn't a believer, with a friend who's not a believer, or a neighbor who's not a believer, and you be intentional about it, praying that God give you opportunity. And this pastor, he participated in this. And in one of his circles, he wrote down the name of a cousin that he hadn't spoken to in years, that he's been disconnected from for years. And he knew she wasn't a believer, so he just started praying for her. Every day he prayed for her. And then somehow they got reconnected. God gave him an opportunity to share the gospel with her. And, yes, eventually she became a believer. But it started because he prayed for her. Prayed for her. Prayer. Prayer is powerful. Do you pray for those that you know don't know Jesus? I mean, really pray for them. And ask the Spirit, draw them into your kingdom. Give me opportunity to speak truth into their lives. And prayer has to be the power behind your evangelism, praying for them and looking for opportunity to share with them. Prayer has to be a power behind our ministry as well, what we do in this community, what we do amongst ourselves. Again, I challenge you to write down the names of those relatives and friends and co-workers and neighbors that you know that don't know Christ and begin praying for them by name. Some of us don't believe prayer is that powerful. That's why we don't pray hard. Or we think it's a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. Remember, you're not praying to a statue. You're praying to a father who hears you. There's a difference. You're not praying to an idol or a piece of wood. You're praying to a God who is living and active. Who's personal. Who's holy. Who's good. Who never turns a deaf ear to his kids. So he's listening. He's listening. Be in your heart and pray. And he's listening. So peacemakers evangelize. They share the gospel. Secondly, peacemakers keep unity. Unity within the church. You see, Jesus, he not only reconciled us to God, but he reconciled us to one another. What does that mean, Alex? It means you can't ever say you don't need the church. You can't ever say it's just you and Jesus on the island, holding hands, walking on the beach together, apart from all other Christians. No. He has connected you to the body of Christ through his death. You need one another. You need the church. It's a family. It's the body of Christ for a reason. Christianity is not individualistic like our culture. It's not If that's your view of Christianity, you have a huge misunderstanding of it. We're part of a body of Christ. In this local church, we are a body, and we need one another. And so, are you quick to break fellowship with other believers? A brother? A sister? And if so, how quick are you to seek reconciliation with that brother or sister? Jesus loves reconciliation and unity within his church, not disunity and discord. He's not honored by that. I don't care how right your theology is, he's not satisfied when his church breaks fellowship. When Jesus looks down upon his people, he doesn't see labels. You know what I mean by labels? He doesn't say, oh, that's my little Baptist child, that's my little non denominational child. Oh, look at my little smart Presbyterian child who's so arrogant. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He doesn't say that's my Church of Christ child, my Methodist child, or my Seventh-day Adventist child. All he sees is my little chickens, my sons, my daughters. We do all the labels, and we use the labels to break fellowship. We'll break fellowship with our labels like that, and thank God is honored by that. I'm telling you, he's not. What is it? He said, by your love for one another, people would know what? You are my disciples. By your love you have for one another. To be a peacemaker means you will make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, there are going to be conflicts in the church. Local church, denominational conflict, there's going to be issues that come up. And when they do, you make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now I know you don't believe me because we still in the newlywed phase here at our church. Everybody still like one another. But I'm telling you, it's gonna come a time when you have a conflict with another believer. And the question is, are you going to be an agent of destruction, an agent of disunity, an agent of divisiveness, an agent of gossip, an agent of slander, an agent of indifference, or an agent of silence? What role are you going to play when the conflict comes up? You're going to play a role. What's going to be your role? Be an agent of reconciliation. Not one of destruction. Not one of discord. Not one of divisiveness. Not one of silence. Speak up when you need to speak up. You see, knowing your sin bit here is half the battle. The other half is sinning and repenting of it and moving on. Letting it go. Here at the Village Church, we're going to deal with conflict in healthy ways. We're going to. From pastor, elder, all the way down. And that starts by keeping short accounts. Yeah, I've said it before. I'm going to keep reminding you because you're going to forget. Keeping short accounts with one another. I don't care how small the issue is, deal with it. Don't let stuff pile up. Because They pile up and then eventually get mad and leave the church. Keep short of counsel with one another. Be mindful of your own brokenness when you go and gently restore another brother or sister. Don't come at one another as if you ain't got no junk in your life, as if you're holier than thou, as if you're perfect. You come as a mutually broken person to gently restore another brother or sister. Be quick to reconcile. Fight for reconciliation. Fight for reconciliation. For fellowship, make every effort to keep the union to the spirit and the bond of peace. Be quick to reconcile. I had a couple weeks ago. It might have been two or three weeks ago. Me and, and me and I'll get up with me and Thor. Thor came in and talked to me at the church about some stuff. And he he was telling me some stuff that I thought should have been taught, He should have told me personally, not in front of people. And so after that meeting, you know, I, I left that meeting. I was like, hmm. I'm feeling, I'm feeling some tension here between me and Thor about how that conversation went. And I was starting to feel resentment building up. And I was, I was feeling that the enemy was coming. See how he do not respect you. He has no value for you. He doesn't, he doesn't respect what you do. So the enemy was on me. I had the decision to make. Will I go deal with that or will I let it sit there? By no means, The longer that sits there, the more resentful I was going to become. The more I was going to distance myself from my brother. So I talked to Wakita about it. I prayed about it. And I called up. and said, brother, we need to talk. Can, you, can we meet Monday? He said, sure. So we met in the back. I told him, when you did that, it hurt me. When you said that, I felt like we should have been in person. It should have been in private. You should have pulled me to the side. And you know what? We hug, reconcile. I said, I love you, brother. We're good. Issue's gone. That's what I'm talking about. I don't care how small it is. That stuff will eat at you. And you will break fellowship if you don't deal with any of the conflict that comes between you and another brother or sister. It will. The enemy will use it. The same applies in your marriage. If you don't deal with your conflict in your marriage, I don't care how small it is, the enemy is going to use it. He's going to gnaw at it. He's going to gnaw at you. going to gnaw at you. Unless you deal with it and bring it into the open. Then he has nothing to hold against you. Because you reconcile. Me and my brother, I haven't even thought about the conversation since him and I reconciled. It's gone. We're good. It's gone. I love that, man. That's what we got to practice. And if we can practice that, you will get through whatever conflicts come our way if you practice those things. I read a um, awesome illustration about uh, this bond of peace that Christ has in his church. Here's, um something that John Owen said illustration that he used. He says, Imagine a man collecting wood for his fireplace. He finds a good supply of branches. They are varied in sizes and shapes. Some long, some thin. Others short, others thick. Some straight, others twisted. He binds them together with the rope. In one bundle, he easily carries them home. Think about that. Imagine a man collecting wood for his fireplace. He finds a good supply of branches. They are varied in shape and sizes. Some long, some thin. Some other short, others thick. Some straight, others twisted. He binds them together with a rope in one bundle and easily carries them home. So it is in the church. We are a varied bunch. A varied bunch. But Christ easily carries us home why because he has tied us together in a bond of peace which is himself. That's our peace that we have together, our relationship with Christ. Jesus is our bond. let us pray. Jesus I thank you that you are the bond of peace that ties us together as a body of Christ. We are a very bunch with many many issues, many many struggles, Come from different backgrounds, different places in life. But Lord, you have bounded us together. What, what, what a wonderful thing the gospel is that you, you bring people together who otherwise would not come together. We would not be here together if it's not for the gospel. Let us think about that. The gospel brings people together who otherwise would not come together. That's the power of the gospel that we can fellowship across denominational lines, cultural lines, race lines, whatever, because of the gospel, because Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the the bond that ties us together. So, Jesus, I pray that you will be the main thing here at the Village Church all day long. You will be the focus all day long. I pray for all this in Christ's name.